now. This is a podcast series to keep members of APA's Division 18 informed of our activities. I'm Tiffany Fennell, and I'm joined by Jen Snyder. And in this episode, we interview our council representatives, Dr. Lee and Linda Mona. I've been looking forward to this interview because APA Council is responsible for making very serious and impactful decisions about APA policy that affects psychologists and society. And each year, eligible voting members of APA decide where to allocate some or all of their 10 votes among the divisions, state, provincial, and territorial psychological associations, and soon, ethnic minority caucuses of their choice. And like the other divisions and associations, Division 18 wants to secure enough votes to have good representation on council. And fortunately, thanks to our members, we've been able to maintain our two council seats. But it's really important that we have representation on council, and so I'm glad that our council reps are here to tell us why that is and some of the issues council has been working on in recent years. Additionally, we'll learn about APA boards and committees and how one gets on them. But first, let me introduce our council reps. First, we have Dr. Ann Klee, and she works at VA Connecticut Healthcare System and is devoted to developing quality, recovery-oriented programs for individuals with serious mental illness, training and supporting the work of peer specialists, and training the next generation of clinicians in the field of psychosocial rehabilitation, and engaging them in careers in public mental health. She has a long track record of serving in national and state leadership roles, and she served as past president of Division 18 from 2013 to 2014, and as past president of the Connecticut Psychological Association. She's currently an associate editor for our division journal, Psychological Services, and has served as our council rep since 2016. And we also have Dr. Linda Mona with us. She works at VA Long Beach Healthcare System, where she serves as the Director of Spinal Cord Injury and specializes in psychotherapy with individuals with chronic health conditions and disabilities. She also has a long track record of service. She's been volunteering in APA since 1996, serving in many different leadership roles in APA, especially in Divisions 22 and 18. She was council rep for Division 22, Rehabilitation Psychology, for four years and is now in her second year serving as Division 18's council rep. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. We're excited to do this. Thanks for having us. Um, so let's start off um, just finding out what is council and what do council representatives do? Um, well, this is Anne. Um, so the Council of Representatives is the legislative body of APA, um, and its, its council is composed of representatives um, from divisions, um, state, provincial, and territorial psychological associations, and also members of the board of directors. Okay, and you know what? What I can tell you about uh, council is. Um, I agree with Anne, and that you know we we are really a policy uh, making uh, uh, group, and um, we spend many hours and much time discussing really important topics that cut across the field and cut across all of the divisions. Um, and I think the other thing that we do is that there's been a high priority on inclusiveness of all different kinds of voices um, that represent those divisions and state associations. 
Very much so. And something that is always asked of us, Jen, is do we represent the division or do we represent APA? And that's complicated. So we consider ourselves public service psychologists, first and foremost. And so we certainly embody, um, you know, we hope we embody Division 18 values and, and whatnot. But um, when you are a council rep, you are officially have a, you have an official fiduciary responsibility to APA. Um, and if there's a vote, um, sometimes we'll get emails from different Division 18 members asking us to vote a certain way. And our what we typically do is go back to the board and sort of say, we'd like to know what the board thinks. Um, and then we on our own make our decisions and we've never felt pressure from the board to vote in a certain way. And we certainly appreciate that. Um, but um, we appreciate the respect the board has given us. Um, but definitely, we definitely value um, the perspectives that we hear and they definitely, I can say, ha have influenced my votes. Right, we certainly wanna to listen to those things um, that, that are important to people. Um, and it also brings up the issue why it's so important to elect somebody that you feel shares your values. <laughs> and so when you're, you're voting for a council representative for uh, Division 18, that you really get to know that person that you're voting for and you feel that there's a shared uh, value system for uh, public service psychology issues. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like it can potentially be kind of a difficult position to be in, um, depending on the issue. What are some of the business items that you have dealt with while you've been representatives for council? Do you want to start us off with that, Anne? Or you want to um, sure. push out one of them and we'll go from there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think one of the harder ones we grappled with was in 2018, uh, two, um, three years after the Hoffman report first came out and when council um, decided that military psychologists could not work with detainees in, in national security settings. And um, Division 19 military psychology brought a business item before council in 2018. And um, there was, you know, requesting that providers of healthcare services to detainees be able, excuse me, um, which would have supported military psychologists as providers of healthcare services to detainees in national mm -hmm. security settings like Guantanamo. And we had tremendous amounts of debate on the floor about this. Um, and there was, I remember it was probably an hour or two of debate on both sides of the issue. Council ultimately voted, um, I think it was like 100 and 100 to 50 or probably a little more than that, a number of abstent abstentions um, to retain the existing policy. But that's an, a pretty big, uh, that's an interesting split. Most votes go, you know, anywhere from, most votes go from like 90% on to, to 10%. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was really complicated um, because to, re you know, to retain the existing policy meant that military psychologists um, couldn't you know, serve in any way the people there and they felt a moral obligation to help people mm -hmm. before them. Um, and, you know, they really wanted to be able to go back to providing care to detainees without any restrictions on their abilities to practice. Um, and it was, there were still psychiatrists working 
like in places like Guantanamo, and they wanted to be consistent with the role of psychiatrists in the military working at Guantanamo Bay um, and other military health providers who may treat detainees at, at any site, not just Guantanamo. And what was also compounding the issue at the time was that independent third-party providers are not given clearance to provide care in detention centers like Guantanamo. So um, actually members of the press were in attendance, um, which is, I've never seen this before that. And at the request of some members, council actually voted to go into executive session, meaning that we had to only council members could be in the room because we really had to protect those working for the government so they would not be quoted in the press without agency clearance or anything. And the deliberations um, were really charged. And I, I would say that many of those who opposed the measure indicated that they feared it would open the door to military psychologists becoming involved in detainee interrogations and risk compromising human rights of detainees. And those who supported the measure were concerned that about the detainees' actual access to psycho psychological care should they choose it, and were concerned that the government would never give clearance to third-party psychologists. So many felt it would not be good for APA to change its policy, um, but, many, but a number felt that it would be good. And ultimately, we did not change the policy. Mm -hmm. But it was, I definitely struggled with that vote on so many levels, um, again, representing public sector views and APA, which can be both at the same time, but it was definitely a, a lot of debate and a difficult um, decision. Well, and I think that issue highlights really kind of a hallmark in the field and, it, and within the context of APA. And I remember reflecting upon it thinking, wow, I don't think most people are going to be have this experience, right? So I think and it also speaks to bringing in people's personal values, the values of ethical values, right? We have APA values, we have our personal values as there's some values conflict here. Who are we voting for? What are we doing? Now the media is involved. And I think it, you know, words matter and our votes matter. And it was a very, I think, stressful time to be a council member um, and yet an important one. And so um, it, it was one of those times where, you know, there are some other issues that we have sometimes that people are more or less invested. Um, and this was truly a passionate um, issue um, that called people to attend to it and vote um, in a way that um, they could live with. At least that was my feeling with it. Yeah, I can remember being in Division 18 at that time. I can remember there being a lot of concern about um, the the potential, which I think was ultimately realized for that kind of extending to places where other kinds of coercive treatment take place, like state hospitals, where people mm -hmm. get medication that they don't want, and, and kind of thinking about like, wow, how, how might that affect those of us working in um, public settings? So I remember that it was a really, really big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, there was a lot of concern for especially for those in forensic settings and police and public safety as well. We were a little worried about what the ramifications were. And this is before my time, but um, Lorraine Green and Dolly Sato had to make sure um, in 2015 that, that those that um, forensic settings and police and public safety settings were not included um, in some of the initial language. And that's yeah. really why you need a, a council representative. They were there and um, the APA president trio were, were listening to them and working with them. And it was, you know, they're, I, I, this is my recollection. 
um, of what had happened, but I remember knowing that they were, their voices were really important to help get the language right. Right. So, and to just kind of give you an image of this, so what this looks like is like a big ballroom <laughs> at a hotel and, a, a, you know, a large group of people and there could be conversations, well, we're stopping this and three people are meeting together. We need to reword this. Okay, so we're going to have 250 people work on rewording something. Why? Because it's really important and it's really, words matter and we do need to get in there and make sure that we are representing most uh, beliefs and we want diversity of opinion because hopefully as psychologists we're inquisitive and we want to be able to to as much as we can objectively look at these things and take someone else's position we sometimes go we'll change one sentence in three different ways yes. to get it right um mm -hmm. so it, it's not unheard of mm -hmm. so what about like really small divisions i mean i know we we Tiffany mentioned like the apportionment vote every year and how we kind of division members voting for that kind of helps us to keep our representatives. But what about small divisions? Well, you know, that's actually happened. Um, um, I think it was in about 2017 um, where one of the divisions lost its seat. Um, I actually, it was one of the um, territories and ultimately what happened was um, we, they had to, we had to go back and try to fix this because it's really important that every, you know, that there be geographic representation. Um, and it was, I believe division 29 got that last seat, um, you know, back from them. And what happened was they came back and the council reps for those divisions said we would personally give up our seats. And what council did is the next time around came back and there was a motion um, uh, to make sure that every group had its own seat, every, every division in every state or territory had its own seat and it passed and then it had to go to the membership for a vote. Um, and that's really important. Um, so much of to say that so much, um, you know, council puts forward, um, can put forward something, but then um, certain things that change the APA bylaws have to be voted on by the membership. Mm -hmm. and Linda, do you want to say a little more what happened more recently with the Ethnic Minority Psychological Associations? Well, and that I, <laughs> I was going to say there have been two like hanging issues, I think, for years, one of which is around student votes and the other is around the Ethnic Minority Association votes. And so there's always concern about representation. I, I think there's concern about representation within divisions and state territories um, with a student voice, um, as well as um, you know, ethnic minority representation in those groups as well. And so um, there, and there have been many ways that um, you know, people have, you know, for example, with the student issues, there is one side of the camps that's usually saying, Students don't have the, you know, they don't have the experience. They don't know the field as well. They don't, um, how are they going to vote on these things that they truly haven't lived or understood? And then on the other side, we really talk about, well, what about, you know, how are we like trying to help do our legacy planning and grooming people to be in these roles? And you know what? Their place in the world right now in psychology really matters. We really want them to, we want to hear what they have to say if they're a student, um, an intern, a postdoc, whatever that might be. 
And so, um, you know, those those two issues have come up and, and and it's the pendulum has swung different ways throughout this time. Uh, and um, so most recently, uh, you know, we have had and I, I Anne, can I speak for you for one second and say that Anne and I have been very uh, vocal and very public about our uh, support of student votes. Um, as well as ethnic minority representation in this legislative body. So we have had more success with those things being passed um, in uh, the more recent years. So, I mean, I think we are, you know, I think the debate is still there. And I think as long as it's respectful debate and people have that debate based on data and experience that we're good to go and, and have those discussions. Um, and I think all of those opinions matter, but I do think we've moved in a way to be more inclusive. Yeah, and ultimately, more recently, the um, larger APA membership voted in support of both of, of these votes. Right. And now- Had to go to the membership, right? And now we have, st our student members have, uh, mm -hmm. are considered full members, or I shouldn't say that, but they're considered, they have uh, voting members. Voting and. Members. And now our EMPAs have seats on council. Mm -hmm. and, and those are two really big strides. You know, yeah, that's really great. That's really great that those things happened. I'm, I'm really excited about that. We are too. You know, Jen, you asked the question initially, or what are some of the big issues that we've grappled with? And I think we really also need to talk about um, something that we that goes back to winter of 2018 when council grapples with moving APA toward accrediting master's level psychology practitioners because I really do believe that this um, is going to change our profession in some ways um, and this is not a new issue that APA has been grappling with that council has not been grappling with it's this has been going on for 70 years um, but what happened in 2017, there was an incredibly strong lobby of the licensed professional counselors. And what they were doing is they were going around state by state, trying to eliminate psychology programs from teaching and training master's level professional counseling students. So essentially because APA was not in the business of accrediting psychology counseling, licensed professional counselors, um, some of our psychology graduate programs were able to do it through um, the LPC, um, the KCREP accreditation. And what KCREP then, that's their accrediting body said, oh no, no, you cannot be a psychology graduate program. You have to be a licensed professional counseling program. And this is, a, this is about money and this is about expertise. And we had many psychologists invested in teaching these programs. We had many students in our programs who were getting these degrees. Um, and so if it was going to eliminate psychology programs from teaching and training these students, it was going to really affect hundreds of programs ultimately if, if the LPCs were, a, were successful across the country. So council deliberated on whether APA should get in the business of accrediting master's level psychology programs. And of course it was a debate and this was not, you know, it wasn't a slam dunk, but without the ability to obtain licensure through the LPC process, the graduates of these psychology master's programs, you know, we're going to have a severely limited career path. And the psychology master's and doctoral programs would be really negatively impacted. Um, and ultimately, if you think of it from a, a public sector perspective, a public service psychology perspective, 
that it would lead to decreased access to psychological care for those in need. Um, and so you can sort of hear where I probably voted in this way, but so ultimately council voted, um, I think over 90% yes and 6%, a little six or 7% no, and a couple abstained that the current issue in development had risen to the level that APA had to establish an accreditation process for master's level psychology programs. The room was shocked by that high level of number, that, that those high percentages, the high percentage who agreed to it because so many were so concerned about this. Um, and, in, and then we've had further discussions, but I just think, you know, this is not, APA is now working through this process, but this is really going to change our profession in some ways. And, you know, probably had to change. Um, I definitely agreed it had to change. And Linda, what were your thoughts? Yeah. At the time? I mean, I think it speaks to, yeah, I, I agree with that too. I think it speaks to the evolution of what occurs in any field and in particular ours. Things are not going to be stagnant and we have to, we have to look at um, what is in front of us and we need to make sure that we are, you know, questioning why we might want to stay one path because it's always been the thing that we've done. <laughs> you know, uh, we have to we have to have concern and compassion and thoughtfulness over um, students and trainees. We know that people are making huge financial commitments to be in these programs and they deserve good mentorship and they deserve to have these opportunities. So yeah, that's my two cents on it. Yeah, and we work in a and if you're in public sector mm -hmm. psychology settings, you work with a lot of master's level professionals already. It, mm -hmm. This is not new to us. And I always said, why not have a piece of the pie from, from APA and psychology have a piece of the pie? If we're not gonna um, be part of it, then someone else is just gonna take those yeah. seats. And also psychologists have written the books Psychology, this is based on psychology science, everything that everyone's learning in school. We should be able to teach from our own textbooks. Mm -hmm. So I really felt like this was the, where APA should be at the moment. But I think we all took it really seriously and are concerned about what does this mean for the doctoral level degree? I know some people said, well, the title cannot be psychologist if you're gonna have a master's level. And most said, APA will probably come up with a term um, like psychology master level practitioner or something to distinguish it from the doctoral degree. But um, these are things that council I'm sure will grapple with again in the coming years. Right, but I, I also think there's a diversity issue that comes in with that, right? So, and I, and I always, you know, I think part of my issue with all this is people questioning their bias with education and what certain titles mean. And so I think we always have to kind of, um, you know, it being part of Division 18 and being representative of many diverse people um, with from diverse backgrounds is that, you know, education is, um, you know, not everybody has access to education, not everybody has access to funding for a PhD level. And, you know, we have some fabulous master's level practitioners um, and that might be somebody's personal choice, that's their goal. So for us to say, you have to have this in order to be a real psychologist or to be the best professional possible comes from a bias, comes from an educational bias. So we just and have Linda, to be careful about that. I agree with everything you just said. And my worry down the road is that we'll create second class um, citizens, second class yeah. members. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I voted knowing, I voted that with the hope 
that, that everyone will be members of APA together. And I think when it comes down to it, sometimes it's just the right thing to do. I mean, when you come down to this voting process on any kind of policy, like what are, what are you know, what are, let's weigh all of the data. Let's look at what's in front of us and then what is the right thing to do for the field. And you guys sound like you're very much on the same page, but I guess that it's not necessarily a given that the two council reps for a division or however many, if a division has more than one council rep, that they'll necessarily vote the same way, huh? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I've had experience on another division and then with this division, I think, you know, you, you're right, right? You never quite know what that pairing is going to be like, or some people have three, you know, like you, you don't quite know, but I think there has to be um, an openness for discussion on those things. Um, there are times on council where we are actually put at the same discussion tables and there have been times where we have put it, been put at other tables where then we're texting back and forth about, are you okay? Where are you? You know, let's let's meet out um, at the snack break or something and just like touch base with one another to make sure uh, that we're discussing these things. So I think um, I think that could uh, happen. And I, you know, I think also we are trained communicators, right? So if we have to, have, if we're called to have a difficult dialogue or to say, hey, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm right there with you on that. Um, let's talk about it more. So, I mean, I don't know, um, Anne, what your uh, your thoughts are on that issue, but I, you know, we tend to have similar, I don't know if we have exact similar beliefs. I think we have similar values and that's what helps us. And then I think we're able to discuss those things thoroughly. Yeah, I think we, I think we've almost always voted similarly um, maybe there's been a few differences here or there, but for the most part, I think we're pretty aligned in our views. But um, oftentimes you tend to see divisions pretty aligned with each other, um, some divisions more than others. The state associations, I think you see a, a huge diversity based on um, the, you know, their professional setting based on where they are in the country or so much more, I think there's so much more diversity among state association representatives. Um, but, um, you know, I've served now, I've overlapped with other division council reps too, and we were pretty much aligned as well. Well, it sounds amazing. And it's really interesting to hear about the work that you guys do as council reps. If people want to get involved in APA, um, kind of this higher level or get on boards and committees, um, what can they do? I think it's marketing 101. <laughs> Seriously. Um, you know, it's funny, right? Because I, I mean, I always incorporate it um, with mentees um, that I am mentoring or in the VA system, we have pre-interns, interns, postdocs. So I always include my trainees um, with an option to look at the work that I'm doing, or you know, have you thought about joining some of these you know organizations? So I think it depends upon you know whether or not you have a mentor or a supervisor, somebody who's involved. Anybody can look at the APA website, right? And and there are you know we've really tried I think um, as an association to market to people. And that while in the past years, we've heard the same voices over and over again, I think we've been good at adding new voices and bringing new people on. So I think if somebody wants to get um, involved that, you know, that we encourage them to kind of throw their hat in the ring with that. And by understanding the hierarchy of, of APA, going to the website, look at it, look at how 
your divisions or the divisions of your interest are composed. Look at what boards and committees. Sometimes we have task forces, right? So which is more of a a short-term commitment if people are concerned about time commitment. Um, but you know, what what task force? What are, what are they working on? What's the deliverable? Is this something that I want to be involved with? So I think it's somebody can do it more comprehensively by doing some research, looking online. I think talking to uh, division representatives. So every, you know, all of the division representatives are listed on their webpage. And so if it's a student to get in contact with somebody who's with student and early career professionals, um, or even the president of the division, wh whatever it might be to make contact to see if you can get more information on that. I think it's important for people to, you know, one of the big questions I think that comes up is what's the time commitment? And I think that's an important question. We're all very busy, no matter where we are in our lives, we have personal lives and professional lives. And so think about timing on when you're giving that time. I, I can remember like a, a four year block, actually more six year block of time where I said no to everything. And I didn't look for more because my children were young at that time. And it was just too hard for me to try to navigate all of that. So, and did I have a problem with it? Yeah, I, what am I missing out on? What am I not doing? Um, but I think you have to look at your, your life and where it is and what you have time to do. And there's varying different roles. There's something that might just, you commit to one or two hours a month, or there's something that there's more of a weekly commitment. Yeah. Anne, and do you want to add on to that? Yeah, and to talk concretely for a second. So you there are postings from APA to submit your name and resume, you know, CV and a statement to be on a committee. Put your name out there get your name out there. And what the APA then does is they get a certain number of CVs, they go through them um, and they're making a better, they're doing a lot more work to make sure that it's not the same person on multiple committees. They're really trying hard to make sure that there's some more first timers and they're looking at diversity of all sorts. So they're looking at career status, whether you're early career, mid-career or senior career. They're looking at, um, um, gender, race, they're looking at religion, they're looking at a whole um, whole slew of factors. They really want more diversity in APA. Put your name out there. Then if you get selected to be on a slate, and there's usually three candidates per slate per committee, and committees have different, some have more slates than others. At that point is when you really need to talk to any council representatives that you can, because council ultimately votes on the different slates. And we get many emails, we get postcards, we get letters, we get calls from, I don't really get calls, but we get the others from candidates who want us to vote for them. I vote, if someone is a member of Division 18, they always get my vote, well, you know, and I really look for who's a member of their state association because I really think that's an important statement. Um, I really believe in supporting state associations. I've, as you know, I've been very involved in my own state association and a lot of the other state associations look for that too. So if you're not a member of your state association and you're running for a board or to be on a board or a committee, I suggest you join your state association that year. And there are many who do right when they wanna be considered. And, and I didn't learn that, I learned this from Judy Patterson who gave a talk to Division 18 on how to get boards and committees five to seven years ago. And um, I think she's totally right. So that, those are just some important um, things to consider. 
that um, you need as many council vote reps um, to vote for you as, as possible. Now, there's so many things that we other people vote on and, and look for in candidates, but I, 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 I just want you to understand who's in the room. And when I, I, there's 50 state associations and territories on top. So just giving you a sense of the, the politics in the room too. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got to sort of stand out. And so many, I know so many of our colleagues, we also look at who's new and who people, new people sometimes want to have a voice. And we all agree that that's so important. APA needs diversity of thought um, and diversity of career status. And I think they've done a really nice job of making sure that there's an early career slate and there's, um, there's just, um, there's just more voices and more opportunity for, um, uh, for the next generation. So I have a confession to make. I've never been a member of a state association. <laughs> so I think that's really good advice. Um, but I, I haven't gone that route. I think also just, you know, it's more money to spend. So for it, for people to, who aren't able to do that, I think just choose wisely with that, but also know that your content expertise and your perspective is also important, but I'll go join my state association tonight, Anne, because thank you. Me too. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. That's a whole new, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast, Tiffany, why state associations matter. Um, Especially because mine just invited me for a plenary speech. So I should go and join. <laughs> okay. I, Linda, you just made a point and I hope I remember it now, but, um, oh, you, oh. about expertise or like your, what yeah, you bring to the I table. Really, yeah. really do read people's statements and I do too. They do make, too. it gives you a sense of who they are and what they believe in. And, yeah, you know, as said earlier in our podcast that we, a lot of what this is about is about values. And we want to make sure that APA has people with the, with, you know, like-minded values that, you know, that we believe in. Well, you guys are like a great enthusiastic ad <laughs> reason for like getting involved in APA and like the the benefits. Um, and also, I think that you know the series of the seriousness of the issues that that you look at as council reps and that APA kind of deals with, which is really um, might come as news to some of the folks who are listening. So. I really appreciate that. Um, as we're wrapping up, any kind of last minute thoughts or um, things you want to say? I, you know, one thing, one last thought that, because as you were kind of summarizing all of this and, uh, you know, I have to say one of the things that I never anticipated getting from APA involvement is uh, creating some of the most important relationships in my own personal life. So finding friends and colleagues with shared values, somebody who's in another state that I can just call and say, hey, I need to run something by you with somebody who's not working right next to me. I did not anticipate, you know, on my top five friends list, it being people from APA and not from other parts of my life. And I think that speaks to um, common values and it speaks to a passion to um, doing above and beyond and doing things for something bigger than than uh, what might be right in front of you. So, I mean, I think um, there are many gifts that come from this type of professional service um, and, um, and that is one of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, for those of us who are very relational, it's all about the relationship and we've made, we make so many different relationships. And if, if you're involved in groups like Division 18 and, and other APA boards and committees and for me, my home division is Division 18. I grew up in the division. I learned 
I started in, you know, I started and worked my way up in the division and, and that's how I learned about APA through the division. And it's a great way to start. I was pretty timid when I first started and, and I gained more confidence from it. I also gained more leadership skills that sometimes, you know, you have, you go to a job and you have a job, but um, if you're involved in professional organizations, it can open up all new different doors and opportunities for you. And I, I think I can say that it, it's definitely happened for me professionally mm -hmm. um, through my involvement in professional organizations. And, it can um, be intimidating, Anne, you're right. It can be intimidating. And I think there are many people to help us along the way. Yeah, I've had some amazing mentors and supporters through Division 18, you know, from formal mentors who I'm still in touch with 15 years later, to very informal friends and relationships. I will text a number of former eight, um, Division 18 presidents to be like, what do you think about this? And um, it's really been, an, you know, and, and not just division presidents, but I text Linda all the time. What do you think about this? And, um, yeah. you know, you're not alone. And there's, you know, there's just so much camaraderie and support. Well, thank you both so much for being with us today um, and for doing this interview. And thank you to those of you listening to the podcast. Please uh, don't forget to subscribe to us so that you get updates whenever we post something new. And um, stay tuned for our next podcast and stay safe. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks.